Well, good morning, everyone. Am I on? I think I'm on. There we go. Before I get started, I'd like to uh, go to the, the Lord in prayer, so if you'd bow your heads and, and pray with me. Dear gracious and heavenly Father, we are so thankful that we can gather and we can worship you without any type of ridicule or retribution or anything like that coming at us, Lord. We are so thankful that you are with us today and we expect your Holy Spirit upon us, Lord. We are just grateful that, that you have given us this house, Lord, and you have given us so much in Indiana, Pennsylvania to be thankful of. And we are thankful that we have you to glorify your, and, glorify, and can glorify your name. In your name we pray. Amen. So good morning. I'm glad to uh, see everyone. I'm glad to be up here again. Um, Frank moved a little closer, so if you see a tomato flying over, it's because he's upset with what I'm talking about. <laughs> so with that, I'll get started. Um, so about two decades ago, I was doing my internship for the National Park Service. And when I was in the National Park Service, I was able to be a part of a climbing team, which was called the High Angle Rescue Team. And the purpose of this team was to get other climbers out of precarious situations. So if a climber had injured themselves, got stuck on a cliff, um, our team went in and we helped that individual out. Because let's just face it, people who climbed and, and went above and beyond and went out there, they didn't, they didn't make it easy on us and they didn't get hurt on soft, flat ground. So we couldn't just go in. So we had to use different gear. We had to use um, climbing ropes and such things like that. And we practiced several times a month. We had to be on our game with things. And we were able to use our harnesses and use the belay lines and, and use the carabiners and use the, the, uh, all the equipment that we needed. Well, one such practice found our group looking up at about a 200-foot sheer rock face. Now, I say 200 feet because I think that's about what it was. I'm trying to remember. But you know how over time the stories kind of get inflamed and it, it may have only been a 50-foot rock face. No, I'm joking. It was, it was close to a 200-foot rock face that we found ourselves looking up at one time. And the situation that we were trying to resolve or, or the, um, the ma main purpose of our training was to take, and we had an individual who was injured at the top of the rock face and they couldn't get down safely, so we had to get up there. We had to bring that individual down and get them to safety. And that was the situation we were trying to, to resolve. And we had done this several times throughout the day. We'd, we'd started the practice, we'd done this several times. And being one of the newer guys on the crew and on the team, my role basically was either helping out and running the belay line. I would uh, check the security of the equipment. I was a runner if somebody needed something because I was very new to that situation. So we had done that several times and we had just brought the last individual down and I hear, McCulley, you're up. So I kind of stopped. I looked at the crew leader because I'm thinking, did, did, did another McCulley join the team that I didn't know about in the last 30 seconds? So I looked and he goes, McCulley, you're up. So immediately you get that anxiousness and your heart is beating really fast. I'm like, holy cow, I have to do this. So I climb up to the back. I go through the back. It's a longer route. It takes about 15 minutes to get to the top where you're going. But you have to climb over things. And so I get up top and I'm getting all set up with my harness, my, uh, my ropes and everything like that. I am not at all comfortable with this situation. I am not ready to do this, I'm thinking to myself. So I get to where I need to be, and the, the thing you need to do when you're climbing is you can't climb. If the rock face is behind me, you can't climb looking out. You have to turn. Sorry, my back's to you for a second. You have to be in a seated position 
with nothing but 200 feet of air between my backside and the ground. And I have to take that first step off of that cliff. So a plethora of things are running through my mind. I'm thinking about a bunch of different things. And the last thing I need to say is I need to say, on belay, which means to the guy that I can no longer see down there, hey, I'm ready, I'm coming down. And from the bottom of the cliff, I hear belay on, which means, hey, I got you, come to me. You see, our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior is much like the exercise that I found myself, found myself in several decades ago. You know, we find ourselves becoming comfortable with our faith, with what we're doing and, and where we're at is okay, and we're comfortable with our faith. And we're not wanting to take the chances that Christ wants us to take. So as I read the passage today, remember this question, and hopefully I can get the answer for us by the end of the sermon, is how can we be courageous and grow our faith? So today I'm going to be reading from Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. And it's titled in my book, Jesus Heals a Blind Beggar. Then they came to Jericho, as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. So a little backstory on the book of Mark, and we all know that Mark's a gospel. It's one of our synoptic gospels. Mark is the shortest book, the shortest of all the gospels, yet all but 31 of the verses contained within the book of Mark are actually quoted within the other gospels. Mark wrote in a, in a, in a very succinct method. So Mark didn't write how we like to tell stories, because when I like to tell a story, I like to embellish things. I like to say things, you know, and expand on things. Mark wrote in a very short, concise, and direct intention. He, he, he said what he wanted to say and he moved on. However, Mark is the only gospel that refers to this blind beggar by his name. He refers to him as Bartimaeus. And Bartimaeus was a blind beggar in the town of Jericho. Bartimaeus, we know, was the son of Timaeus, and that is the actual meaning of his name. Bartimaeus means son of Timaeus. See, in Jericho, this Jericho had been rebuilt. This was a not the, not the Jericho that we know of. It was still the city of Jericho, but it had been rebuilt a short distance away from the previous Jericho, which was now pretty much abandoned. So this new Jericho actually was rebuilt, and it was a hopping, it was a, uh, it was a pretty big resort town. And it had been rebuilt by Herod. And Herod's winter palace was actually the, the, the location of this Jericho. So as Jesus was leaving Jericho, we find Bartimaeus sitting along the roadside. Bartimaeus had become comfortable with his lifestyle as a beggar. You see, most occupations at the time required you to be physically and mentally fit. They didn't have computers. They didn't have desk jobs where you could sit and do something. You had to be physically and mentally fit. And for those individuals 
who were not physically and mentally fit to work. They were cast out. They were made to beg for food. They were made to beg for money to buy the food. They weren't able to do anything. Beggars in most areas were actually despised. And there were actual laws that prohibited beggars from being in certain areas. See, as a beggar, you weren't allowed to be within a certain distance of a, of a uh, city gate or you weren't allowed to be within a certain distance of certain buildings. There were actually laws that prohibited individuals in those areas from giving to beggars. See, as a beggar, you were despised. You were one of the lowest of society because that's just it. You had nothing positive to give the, the place where you lived, the place where you begged. You had nothing positive to give that town. You had nothing to contrib contribute to them. But Bartimaeus had found an area where he could beg and he could gain something, albeit as little as it was, to sustain his life. He had become as comfortable as he could with his beggar's lifestyle. Much like Bartimaeus and his comfort with his beggar's lifestyle, we become comfortable with our faith. We think that we're good right where we're at. We think that our relationship with Christ is good, and we don't need to go any further. Right where I'm at, I'm doing well. I feel comfortable. I need to go no further. But our spiritual growth is stunted when we become comfortable in our faith. We think because we're comfortable that we must be doing everything right, and that our relationship with Christ is spot on. How many times I think that, I'm sure we've all thought that, that I'm doing everything right. I'm comfortable. My relationship with Christ is spot on. This is just what the enemy wants us to believe. Because when we're comfortable and we're not developing a stronger relationship with Christ, because there's two things. You can either, you're, you're not ever stale in your Christianity. You're either moving forward or you're decreasing and going backwards. You're never just stale. Because if we're not pushing forward, we're not doing what we're developing a strong relationship. And therefore, we're not a problem for Satan. Because we're not pushing out there and we're not gaining new people for the faith. We're not pushing forward. That is just what Satan wants us to believe. Just like Bartimaeus thought that this was the best he could be, the enemy sometimes tricks us into thinking that we are the best Christians we could possibly be. Because when he instills that in us, then we're not pushing forward and doing more for him. As we look at verse 47 and 48, we can learn our first main um, goal here is that our faith will grow when we see what others do not. Our faith will grow when we see what others do not. See, Bartimaeus had learned that it was Jesus of Nazareth coming. It's not sure how he knew this. I'm sure that crowds went by because we know in verse 46 that there was a large crowd at States. And he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he shouted that. You see, he didn't care who was around or how much trouble he would get in. Because remember, he tried not, as a beggar, you tried not to have, you try not to stick out. Because if you stuck out and people, you know, noticed you or you caused disturbances, you would have been removed from the area. He didn't care at this point. He was yelling for Jesus. Even when people rebuked him and told him to be quiet, what did he do? He shouted even louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. You see, though he could not physically see, he could see who Jesus was. He saw him as the son of David. In the book of Mark, if we look at the book of Mark, throughout the book of Mark, there is only one other recording of somebody calling and recognizing Jesus as the son of David. 
And most of the people who were following him in this large crowd had probably become comfortable in their faith. We see that he had been rebuked by individuals. Those individuals were probably comfortable in their faith and stating, be quiet, what are you doing? Why are you yelling at me? They had become comfortable, and they had lost sight of the fact who they were actually following. They had lost sight of the fact that Jesus was the son of David. Bartimaeus saw what others did not see. He saw Jesus as the Messiah. He saw Jesus as the one who was prophesied about so many hundreds of years ago to come from the line of King David, the Savior. Bartimaeus saw what others did not see. Bartimaeus knew that Jesus was the Son of God, and he didn't physically need to see him. He saw him with his heart. And A.W. Tozer states that any faith that must be supported by the evidence of the senses is not real faith. How true is that? Because it completely contradicts the word faith if we have to see it to believe it. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, which is um, one of our quizzers, or qu- the quiz team's uh, memory verses, Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us that now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. It's faith of being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. How often, of Christian, how often as Christians do we find that we must physically see the evidence of God to feel closer to Him? We must see what He's doing to fill Him. We search for physical signs that are not going to come because of the shallowness of our own faith. You see, when we're searching for something just physical and seeing Jesus, that's not going to come because our faith is shallow and we don't have a real deep faith. When we continually recognize and see Jesus as the Son of God, our Savior, with our hearts, and we don't rely on the physical signs, we will see our faith grow. And when our faith grows, God's Holy Spirit grows stronger within us. Verse 49, we can learn that listening to the encouragement of mature saints will fuel the fires of our faith. When Bartimaeus saw Jesus for who he truly was, he got a response from Jesus. Verse 49 tells us that Jesus stopped and said, call him. Now, can you imagine a crowd of individuals? Like I said, we we saw in verse 46 where it states that there was a large crowd. Can you imagine a crowd of individuals? And we can learn from other, other miracles that the feedings, there was at least or a possibility of 20,000 people following Jesus. Can you imagine that crowd? Can you imagine how loud it was? Because I don't think they walked around going, okay, Jim, we're going to follow Jesus today. Let's see what we're doing. Hold on, he's talking to a beggar over there. I don't know. What, do you think he's going to do something? Do you think he's going to heal him? No. This crowd was loud. They were excited because the ones who truly understood who they were following were excited. They were talking. Like when we do our greetings in here for that five minutes, look how loud it was. Can you extrapolate that hundred times? It was very loud. Very loud. It was loud and people were constantly talking. Yet this beggar, this mere beggar who nobody wanted, to believe, wanted him to believe, with his growing faith got the attention of the Messiah. The people called at this point to Bartimaeus, and they said, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. 
Now, I use the NIV version, not the ESV version, because I like the translation of this in the NIV version. Because the Latin word translated for cheer up is tarse, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, which means be courageous. <clears throat> Sorry, be courageous. Jesus was calling Bartimaeus out of his comfort zone, and Bartimaeus needed to do as the crowd was urging him, and he needed to be courageous. See, Jesus will call us out of our comfort zone. When we take and we give Jesus Christ ourselves and say, I believe in you, I have that faith, you're in me, we say, I will give you everything I have. <clears throat> I will give you everything I have. I will do for you because that's what you're asking of me. We need to heed the words of those individuals that Jesus puts in our life. Because Jesus will put individuals in our life that will encourage us, that will fuel the fires of our faith. I've seen it in my life, and I'm sure that you guys can think back when you've gone through times where you can see that somebody has been put in your life that normally is not in your life, or somebody new steps into your life, and that is that sole purpose. Jesus has put them there to encourage you, to help you. Jesus has put them there because chances are they've been through something like that before, and they have a deeper faith, and they can guide you through that time. But what do we do as, as humans? And, and you can ask my wife. You can ask any of my family members. You can ask my close friends. <clears throat> what does Doug do when he needs help? I ask for it. Absolutely not. I'll figure it out, and I'll get through it myself because that's what I do. I have this big thing called pride that I have a very hard time getting rid of. Because if I'm asking for help, then I feel that I'm weaker. And I feel that I can't do it myself. But God doesn't see us as weak. God doesn't see us as weak. God didn't see Bartimaeus as weak. Jesus Christ knows that we can do it. Jesus Christ says, I'll help you with that. Because you're going to need some help. Why not let me take some of the weight and put somebody in your life? Those that God places in our lives are there to help us because they could have been down that path. We don't need to be prideful. We need to listen. We need to learn. And we need to grow. Looking closer at verse 50, we can understand that we need to be courageous and not fearful in our response to Christ's call. You see, when I was dangling off that cliff, and I'm going to say dangling because there's nothing there. Like, I had my feet just pushing off of that rock face, and you're dangling. There was a plethora of doubts going through my mind. I was thinking so many things. This is a three-eighths-inch thick rope. And there's myself, which is a little over 200 pounds at the time. I may have put on some weight in the past 20 years. But there's myself, and there's about 300 pounds of gear with the Miller board, the rescue basket, and the simulated victim. So that's over 500 pounds dangling with a 3 8 inch rope and a climbing nut. Now a climbing nut kind of looks like a trapezoid that you wedge in the crevice of a rock and you pull it tight and, well, I hope that holds. <laughs> because guess what? It wasn't their life that was at stake. It was my life. I was the one that was dangling 200 feet and let's just face it, 200 foot drop, very, very hard that I'll survive that. I, w I was dangling up there. Bartimaeus probably had his mind racing with his own negative thoughts as he was called. 
But what did Bartimaeus do? Bartimaeus does something that is not consistent with a beggar. Verse 50 states that he threw his cloak aside, jumped to his feet, and went to Jesus. He threw his cloak aside. See, Bartimaeus didn't take the time to fold his cloak and fold it nicely and put it down there and say, seat saved times infinity, I'll be back for it. No, what did Bartimaeus do? He threw his cloak aside. He threw his cloak aside. When he threw his cloak aside, Bartimaeus was making a statement. He was making a statement that I am done with my old life. I am ready to move forward. Because the cloak of a beggar was more than just a cloak. It was more than a piece of clothing. To a beggar, that was probably his, own, his, his only personal possession besides the clothes that he may have had on his back. That cloak protected him from the weather. That cloak was what could have given him shade in, the, in, the, in the, the heat of the day. Any type of storms or inclement weather, that could have sheltered him from that. That could have been his pillow when he slept at night. That cloak was his home. It was his only possession. That's what he spread out. And when people would come walking past, and if they felt the need to or felt so sorry for the individual, they could throw their coins on there, or they could throw their bread on that cloak. What did he do? He threw that aside. He didn't care what was on there. He threw that aside. And he got up and he went to Jesus. He was making a statement. He's saying, I'm done with my old life. I am going to do what other beggars will not do. Furthermore, when he jumped up and left his spot, he said that I'm leaving my life as a beggar. I'm done. I'm leaving that. You see, how we respond to Christ's call is pivotal to our spiritual growth. How we respond when Christ calls us, that's pivotal to our spiritual growth. See, God will call us. I've already said that, and we know that God will call us because some of us have been called, and I'm sure that each and every one of us have been called in some way, shape, or form, or else you wouldn't be here listening. God will call us, and he will want us to throw our cloak aside. He will want us to throw that possession aside. He will want us to do for him that nobody else is willing to do. He will want us to go without hesitation. When we do what others normally would hesitate to do when we respond to God's call courageously and without hesitation, we will see our faith grow to levels that we have never seen in the past. Our faith will grow, our faith will jump. We cannot let fear take a hold. Because what happens if we move and God, if we feel that call of God, we can either say yes or we can say no. There's no gray area. You either obey, and if you're not obeying, you're disobeying. I tell that to my kids all the time, but I have a very, very hard time with that sometimes. Because if you're not obeying, you're disobeying. There's no gray area. There's no middle in between here. You're either going and doing what God's calling you to do, or you're disobeying and doing what you want to do. Bartimaeus was doing what he wanted to do. Bartimaeus was doing what he wanted to do. He was being courageous. However, to have a more powerful faith... We can look at verse 51 and 52, and we can know that we need to be confident and expect more from Jesus. See, we know that Bartimaeus was nothing, and most of the people in that crowd did not want Bartimaeus to get up and go. They were the ones that were stifling him to say, no, be quiet. Don't speak. Don't draw attention to yourself. Sit down. But Jesus, when asked, Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus responded with a strong 
and it's simple, and I can't emphasize how strong this statement is. Rabbi, I want to see. <clears throat> see, Rabbi is a shortened version of Rabboni. I hope I'm pronouncing that right again, meaning my Lord, my Master. The only other person in the Gospels, in the recorded Gospels, who called Jesus Rabbani was Mary when she saw him out of the tomb at the end of, verse, uh, at the end of John. The only other person. Wearsby states in his commentary that the beggar had twice called him the son of David, a national messianic title. But Rabbani was an expression of personal faith. Bartimaeus, at this point, had put his full trust in Jesus. He had fully trusted Jesus Christ. He did not ask Jesus if he could or if he would be able to heal him. He told Jesus, I want to see. Bartimaeus answered Jesus with confidence. Bartimaeus was courageous when he got up and went to Jesus. Bartimaeus had great expectations of what Jesus could do for him. You see, when we expect more from Christ, we not only get a stronger faith, we get a deeper faith. Often our expectations are much different than what God has planned. We always expect one thing, and God says, no, no, no. Hold on a second. You're going to do this for me. This is what I want you to do. I don't want you here. I want you here. But if we pray and we have that strong faith by being courageous and being, doing what he wants, we can align our expectations with the expectations that God has for us. A.B. Simpson, I'm sure we all know who A.B. Simpson was, is quoted by saying, Our God has boundless resources. The only limit is in us. Our asking, our thinking, our praying are too small. Our expectations are too limited. How true of a statement is that? Our expectations are too limited. Bartimaeus had a strong faith and great expectations of Jesus, and his faith healed him. You know, I was coming in this morning, I can't remember the name of the, the, um, the singer. Um, Phil may know it. It, it. it was called Same Power. Um... The song was going on, but it was basically describing that when we accept Jesus Christ, we have that same power in us that pulled him from the grave. We have that same power that defeated sin for all eternity for us. Do we use that power we put our expectations in that power. You see, Jesus had passed by many beggars during his travels. Jesus didn't get to ride a horse or a donkey too much. I mean, one time it was recorded that he actually rode one. So he walked hundreds and hundreds of miles. How many beggars did he walk past at this time? So many of them just let Jesus walk right on by. Bartimaeus saw what others did not see. 
He saw Jesus as the Son of God. He did what other beggars would not do normally. He left his cloak, leaving his lifestyle as a beggar, knowing that he was not going to go back to that. I'm moving forward. I am not staying back here anymore. I'm going forward. I'm proceeding forward for you, Christ. And he, with his new personal relationship, when he went up to Jesus and he said, My Lord, my Master, he expected more. And he got spiritually healed. And with his spiritual healing, he got his physical healing. And he followed Christ from, then, then, there, from that time forward. You see, during my climbing exercise, I needed to have courage to do something that I had never done before. I was comfortable just being that go-to guy and not having to come down over that cliff. I needed to have trust in my gear. I needed to have faith in the part that I couldn't see that I would make it down safely. I needed to use that training to grow my experience as a climber. Think of the times that God is going to call us out of our comfort zone. How do we respond when we find ourselves in situations that will take us out of our spiritual comfort zone? Do we, do we allow our faith to grow as Bartimaeus did? Are we going to seize that opportunity and do as Bartimaeus did? Will we see Jesus as our Savior and as our guide through any of these opportunities? Do we respond to Christ's call with a strong faith? Do we respond to Christ's call courageously? And is our faith mirrored in the expectations that we have of Jesus in our lives? Are we expecting that power of Jesus Christ? Do we have that expectation of the power that pulled him from the grave and he defeated death? Or are we to keep that narrow mind? We need to trust Jesus as our Messiah. Don't live content with your current spiritual reality. Go deeper. See what's not seen by others. Do what others will not be willing to do for Christ. And continue to expect more from our Lord, our Master, Jesus Christ. Pray with me. Our gracious and heavenly Father, we are so grateful that we have you. That we have that power that you defeated death with inside of us when we accept you. And God, we just ask for that courageousness each and every time that you call us out of our comfort zone. We ask that you take and you help us to remember your word, that you will never leave us nor forsake us, and that anything that we can do through you, we can do, and you will never give us too much. And God, help us to realize the people that you put in our lives to help us through those situations, Heavenly Father. I am ever grateful, Lord, that I have you in my life. And I'm grateful for the word that you have placed in each and every one of our hearts. In your name I pray. Amen.